This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 5, Episode 4. And welcome to Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, January 12th, 2022, as of the recording of this episode, and I am your host, Riley Bowman. I am not joined by any co-hosts or guests today. Unfortunately, some things kind of fell through. We don't have anybody lined up, and so here we are, just me. You get me all to yourself for the entire episode. I know some of you are hitting the uh, the stop button right now as we speak. That's okay. We're going to have a great time. This is what we are calling the random show. Where we're going to cover a wide array of target or not targets, but topics. I guess we could talk about targets. We're going to talk about a wide array of to- topics. I keep trying to say targets. <laughs> Jeez. And uh, anything goes, honestly. We'll, we'll still be firearms and self-defense focused in this discussion typically. But you know what? If we get off into the weeds on something random, well, so be it. Uh, this might be something I explore in the future as well, bringing on some other guests or hosts where we just, again, throw caution to the wind and talk about whatever. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about SHOT Show, kind of a SHOT Show preview that's coming up this next week. Looks like the show's still going to happen, and the ConcealedCarry.com team is still planning on going. So uh, I'll talk a little bit about that, about some things, uh, I guess, my thoughts about SHOT Show in general, uh, things I hope to see, things we hope to cover, uh, give you a little bit of a heads up of what we're doing there. Um, we're going to talk about some new up-and-coming things from from uh well from me i guess or from the company here i've got one thing i'm going to highlight i guess or talk about in today's episode that i'm I'm kind of excited about so you guys will be amongst the first hearing about it here and uh yeah we'll see wherever else the discussion leads us today hello folks on facebook and youtube thanks for chiming in and viewing today we'll be taking live questions from viewers as well that's actually a big piece of this you guys can direct the focus of the show uh you can get me sidetracked and distracted even if you want as well uh so this will be a variety of topics and answering questions. So please ask away in the comments section. Today's episode sponsored brought to you by excess sites. They're our title sponsor and they are sponsor of this episode here today. So we thank you uh, excess sites for your sponsorship at the concealed carry podcast. Uh, Excesssites.com is where you can find their company and their product lineup wide array of products available at exercise.com. In fact, kind of random, something we wouldn't necessarily normally talk about uh, on the on the Concealed Carry podcast, but Exercise actually just recently released a new product. I'm actually pulling up the press release right now if, as soon as I find it here, but it is a, a, a kind of something that surprised me even. I didn't hear about this coming. I didn't hear about it being a thing, but it's a new armorer's block for AR platforms. What's kind of cool and unique about this product is, you know, when you're working on an AR style weapon or gun, uh, you know, you got your lower receiver and your upper receiver. This is intended to be an armor's block that's not only compatible for AR-15s, but also AR-10 and AR-10 derivatives all in one product. So if you like to work on both AR-15 and AR-10 rifles, then this may be the product for you. It's made out of 6061 T6 aluminum. It's versatile, durable, and reliable, as it says according to the press release here. But it comes with pins to lock in the receiver for both Again, AR-15s and AR-10 style guns. Um, they also offer a 3D printed adapter plate for purchase. So pretty cool, kind of a random thing, I think, from excess sites, but I like seeing it. It's a retail price $83, which I think is very reasonable for a serious tinkerer of the AR style 
gun. So guys, check out the uh, the new armors block from Exercise. Exercise.com. Of course, you guys know that I love them for their awesome sights, period. Uh, especially the F8 night sights. The R3Ds are awesome too. In fact, they also recently released new R3D night sights for the CZP-10 uh, line of guns, the optics ready version that is, and the Glock 43, 43X, and 48 MOS pistols. So cool new products from XS Sites. They're a sponsor today. Appreciate your support of our sponsors. Also today, uh, I'm actually just going to suggest that you head on over to our YouTube channel and sc- subscribe Make or make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. You can go to YouTube and search concealedcarry.com. All as I guess words, if you will, you can write concealedcarry.com just like that. And you'll pull up our channel right away. Typically, typically if you just search concealed carry, uh, and look at channels, you'll, you'll usually get ours as one of the first results as well. And for those of you that were referring to the show notes of the episode, there's a direct link that'll take you right to our YouTube channel and get subscribed. Why is that relevant? Well, we typically do our best to provide uh, uh, up-to-date coverage of SHOT Show while we are there and in the immediate weeks following the show. So you want to make sure you're subscribed to our channel to catch all of our coverage of new products, new releases, new information from SHOT Show 2022. So as was mentioned, uh, this is kind of an experimental new show format, and it is just me today, although again, in the future, I intend to have on other guests or hosts as well, and where we kind of do something similar. And so today, we're just talking about whatever floats our boat, whatever comes to mind. I do have a couple of topics lined up, and then we are totally opened up for any questions that live viewers would like to submit. Guys, Hit me in the comment section. I will watch for your questions. And as long as they're not like totally off the wall, I will probably answer them. First thing today that I want to talk about is a SHOT Show preview. So uh, next week, we'll be headed to SHOT Show 2022. Uh, It's been speculated for quite some time that the show is not going to happen. But at this point, it looks like we are going forward full speed ahead. Uh, SHOT Show uh, begins on the typical day format of Tuesday is the official start of shot show itself. It runs through Friday. We are going to be there actually though, only uh, Tuesday through Thursday this year. Uh, Some of that's because we kind of feel like the show being probably a little bit smaller and less busy. We'll be able to cover more ground more quickly and um, you know, Hey, let's uh, get out of there on uh, we'll, we'll be leaving Friday morning and getting back to home. Uh, hope, hopefully that's uh, a, a plan that we don't end up regretting. I don't think so. I think it's going to probably work out really good for us. So we'll be on the ground Tuesday through Thursday at the show itself, making sure we cover everything that we can cover, meeting with all the people we need to meet with. Monday is the day before the show, which is also known as Industry Day at the Range. That is the fun day. That's the day where we go to the shooting range and actually get hands-on in terms of live fire with a lot of the firearms-focused products. And I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm hoping there's a good representation from vendors at that, including some of the more recent uh, product releases. Um, I actually don't recall... If Smith and Wesson's been there in the past, it's been so long. I think so, but I hope Smith and Wesson's at Industry Day, Industry Day at the Range with their new CS, CSX pistol. Uh, uh, the you know, and, and the pistols chambered in the new Federal Thirty Super Carry uh, cartridge because I'd like to get my hands on that, and that'll be the soonest, uh, easiest way I can get my hands on with those new products recently announced from Smith and Wesson. Uh, I hope that you know, again, Federal will have some super. 30 super carry there able to be shot. I don't know. I haven't heard one way or another if that's the case, but I hope so. So we can get hands on and try this stuff out for ourselves. If not, we'll have to just do our best to uh, get in touch with Smith and Wesson and get those uh, in our hands for a longer term review slash T and E. Uh, so that's uh, that's the first thing is uh, we'll be there for industry industry day at the range. Uh, we'll see what we can see there. I know there's going to be a few vendors that aren't there because they've already made it clear that they're not going to be there. Uh, there have been a few vendors that have been announced 
uh, as for not being at shot show um, at all. Uh, in fact, I actually just had a phone call from five eleven tactical uh, a few days ago, uh, letting me know they weren't going to be there. And we actually had a meeting set up with them as we almost always do. And uh, yeah, so they called me up, said, uh, we're not gonna be at the show. So kind of a last minute cancellation on their part. They, they did say they're going to have some kind of presence in their booth. And I think by that, they're going to have some things set up in the booth space that they normally would occupy, which I think is actually what a number of companies are doing, uh, at SHOT Show this year. So kind of an interesting thing there. If you haven't picked up on this SHOT Show has been really working hard online in social media, uh, in various posts and comments, try doing their best to say, look, the show is going to go on as, as usual. It's going to be a great show. Everybody's going to be there. Uh, and trying to really downplay the lack of participation from some, some pretty big companies. One of the first companies that made it known they were not going to participate in shot show this year. And pretty early on was six hour, which is a, which was a huge disappointment to me. I have a lot of uh, great relationships there at six hour. Uh, I like their products. You know, I, you know me, I shoot and carry their guns quite a bit. Uh, well, pretty much all the time and with few exceptions and uh, so it's disappointing to see that SIG was not going to be there. Um, so that was one of the big, you know, first first big withdrawals from the show in terms of big companies. Uh, there's been a bunch of others that have come out and announced they're not going to be there. Uh, I was just actually thinking that just today I saw something about Surefire, which I was told was going to be there. And here's the thing, and this is what I'm getting at that I've I've kind of picked up on. There's been a number of companies that have basically said, that have withdrawn from the show. They're not going to show up to the show, but they're still going to maintain a booth presence of some kind. Now by that, again, I think means they're going to have a few things set up as more of a display. Uh, what that looks like exactly. I don't know, but it, it seems pretty apparent that they're either not going to have any people at all on the ground, or they'll have only just enough people to keep an eye on, the couple of things that they maybe just have set up there in the booth as a display. I don't know. Um, but Surefire has basically come out and said, Oh, we're going to have a booth and we're going to have a bunch of things there in the booth space. But we're not going to have any people there, you know, that you can talk to or meet with or uh, that kind of thing, uh, or, you know, discuss products with handle products, that sort of thing. And, and so I've picked up on shot show, which of course is organized and operated by the national shooting sports foundation as sort of using this language of when someone calls them out and saying, well, I've heard that such such company is not going to be there. That shot shows responses. No, there's going to be a, like, what, what's the actual phrase that I've seen used multiple times, something about how there's going to be a presence, you know, that they, they're going to be there or there, there's going to be representation from them in, you know, at shot show or that something to that effect, kind of a very politically, savvy sort of statement that um, downplays the lack of participation by certain companies uh, and giving the impression that there's going to be more going on than there probably really will be. At least that's me reading between my lines. I could be totally wrong, but that's uh, that's the impression I've been given. Yeah. Uh, Lowell asked on Facebook, where is this held? Shot show is held as of recent history. The last five, six years I've been attending every year has always been in Las Vegas. I know in years past, it's been in other parts of the country. I know that there's a contract in existence between, between NSSF, the organization that runs shot show and uh, whatever organization now is operating, owning, using, running the, uh, the Sands Convention Center, um, or I don't even know if it's still called the Sands Convention Center. I think so, but I could be wrong. So uh, it's basically a, a convention center that's located behind uh, the Venetian and um, what's the other major uh, casino that's right there for those of you that are familiar. But anyway, that's that's the big one that comes to my mind is, is the Venetian and. Uh, Big, it's a pretty big convention center. And that's one of the big things with shows like SHOT Show. It's a huge show. 
in its biggest years, it draws in terms of vendors and exhibitors uh, and attendees like a hundred thousand people, and you need a sh- and there's thousands and thousands of companies that are that have booths there. Uh, so there's only a handful of convention centers in the country that even have the booth space, the, the floor space available for the number of vendors that need to present at the show. And then, of course, you got to be able to accommodate all the people that will be attending uh, in terms of uh, hotels and, and other infrastructure. And so Las Vegas has been the obvious choice for the last number of years. And and, it, and again, they have con- uh, a contract there, I think, through 2020 five or 2027 it's it's a good number of years still to come that there's a contract in place so we anticipate shot show being held there in las vegas for for the next uh, for the foreseeable future uh vegas has been shut down in a big way with respects to conventions um and of course we have this whole omicron business going on which is i don't know uh i don't know why we're so concerned about omicron because all of the data i've seen most recently suggests it's quite mild compared i mean very contagious yes but quite mild in its uh, symptoms uh and, and, and in terms of the mortality uh associated with uh, uh with omicron so uh, but yet we're freaking out and shutting stuff down or you know mask mandates and all this stuff and so uh uh, unfortunately, the way Las Vegas and Clark County and Nevada has gone the last few years, they've taken a pretty aggressive approach uh, with respect to mandates and whatnot. Uh, we anticipate we're going to have to wear masks while at the show, which is not my most favorite thing in the world to do. But uh, I know some people are like withdrawing from the show or not attending the show out of principle of I'm not going to wear be forced to wear a mask, so I'm not going to go. You know, it's fine. Um, we're we're going to go. So. Uh, my my hope would be that it's not heavily enforced the the masks thing, uh, but uh, whatever. I'm gonna have a mask and we'll go and we'll do what we can do. The, the, the most disappointing thing to me about this is that I know there's gonna be people that I see and I'm gonna be like, they look familiar. I, I feel like I should know them, but like you don't know for sure because seventy percent of their face is covered. Uh, I think that'll make things kind of difficult and interesting, um, and so. Yeah, I apologize in advance for anybody that happens to listen to this, although it's not probably terribly likely that's going to be at the show. If I see you and I don't recognize you, uh, sorry in advance. <laughs> Call my name out and, and let me know who you are. Um, let's see. Other shot or thoughts about SHOT Show, and I'm going to get to one of the first questions here from Christy. Uh, on, she's uh, viewing on YouTube here today. So... You know, a couple new guns released or announced, so I, I look forward to seeing those and hopefully getting hands-on on some of those, uh, again, including some offerings from, from Smith & Wesson. Uh, I'd like to check out the, the 30 Super Carry. I'd like to have a conversation with, with folks from Federal about that. Um, I am particularly interested in, you know, this is one thing we always look for. And actually, so, so to this point, this is actually one I think potentially positive thing about this year's shot show is that I I'm, I always tend to kind of make my way through the smaller vendors section of the show. And that's one thing about this year's show is that they are expanding in a big way into, uh, into what they're calling the Caesars form. So they've added additional floor space that apparently got to go through across a walkway, across a street to go over to access. Um, but, uh, I'm guessing it'll be a lot more smaller vendors that perhaps have never exhibited before at the SHOT Show. And I'm looking forward to to basically checking out that. I'll, I'll probably spend a fair amount of, of the show in that part of the show where there's lesser known or newer companies uh, looking for things that nobody has really seen or heard of before or just hasn't really um, gotten a lot of traction in the market yet. So innovative stuff related to carrying a gun, uh, holsters, uh, that sort of thing, or training products. So we'll see if anything shows up there. But I am optimistic that we will see more newer players at SHOT Show this year due to the fact that the show has been expanded and we have fewer, we have some some 
exhibitors that have dropped out of the show that perhaps has opened up some more show space, uh, bringing in more vendors. And so I'm curious to see what we find. So, and I'll be, I'll, I'll be reporting back to you on that for sure. First question from Christy on YouTube. She asks best competitive shooting platform to start with resources to prepare. Good question. Obviously, it's going to depend on which competitive shooting sport do you want to get involved in because that's going to dictate the rules you got to operate within, all right, which dictate, which a lot of times dictates your equipment, your gun, and, you know, the characteristics of that gun that you're using. Um, so let's, let's start there and, and I'll speak first from a USPSA perspective, which is what I currently most actively compete in USPSA, uh, the United States Practical Shooting Association, which is the United States region. It's the, the part of, uh, the International Practical Shooting Confederation, um, that operates as a separate entity within the United States but participates in the International Practical Shooting Confederation or IPSC. Um, uh, you know, that, and, and this is how the IPSC is broken up throughout the world. It's broken up into several regions. You know, I don't remember what all the regions are, but basically every part of the world is covered by a, uh, a, a region of IPSC. And for the United States of America, we have our own region, which is referred to as United States Practical Shooting Association, USPSA. It is primarily a pistol shooting sport, although it is not only pistol shooting, as there is a division called PCC, so pistol caliber carbine. And going back to the very beginning of IPSC, okay, and which, by the way, IPSC, or again, IPSC, was founded originally as a standalone organization Later, when it split up into regions, and then we split off and created USPSA um, as a region within IPSC. But IPSC was founded in the USA uh, at a at a meeting called, known as the Columbia Conference in Missouri. Uh, a number it was back in like 1977, I believe. Um, go back to the very founding documents of IPSC including statements made by some of the founding members, including Jeff Cooper. And it was noted even back then that they didn't want to have pistol or handgun in the name of the organization uh, to, or even in its mission to, because they didn't want to limit the organization to only being about handguns or pistols. Now, the remarkable thing is that it was a pistol or handgun only shooting organization until PCC came along as a provisional division, I think, in 2006, 15 or 16, thereabouts. And so now we have rifles, okay, or pistol caliber carbines involved in USPSA. So that's kind of its own animal, right? Um, so, but in general, USPSA is a pistol shooting sport. And so within USPSA, you have different divisions that people compete within. So without going way into the weeds on what all the different divisions are and the specific various specifics associated with those divisions. Just know that there is a, there's pretty much a division for just about any handgun that you might consider shooting in USPSA. So, uh, you know, at the very least you can pretty much always compete in open division because open division has the fewest equipment restrictions. Uh, so at the very least you can show up to a match and chances are whatever handgun you brought with you, you can, run an open division if you uh, have no, have nothing else uh, that that gun fits in divisionally. So uh, uh, currently USPSA has, I think it's seven divisions, open division, limited, limited division, carry optics, uh, production division, uh, single stack division, limited 10 division, which is basically just like limited, but with 10 round capacity mac maximum, uh, which was a division that was founded back in the old assault weapons and magazine restriction ban back in the mid to mid nineties to mid two thousands. And then uh, revolver division. Oh, and then PCC. So actually maybe there's eight divisions. So, uh, so in terms of best compu competitive shooting platform, um, kind of like what you want to shoot. So 
I would say for someone that's getting started, because you do say to start with, I think something that is more of a production type gun is probably a pretty good place to start. And by that, we mean a common model of gun that you can, that you can pretty much just go buy off the shelf at any gun shop or store. That's actually kind of where production division got started, uh, was intended as a division that was just regular kind of duty style, duty grade guns. You know, you're talking your Glock 17s and SIG P320s and 226s, 229s. Um, although you don't see many of the classic series SIGs in production division. A few, but not not that many, sadly, I think. Uh, but just common standard production style pistols. That's kind of how production division got started. But production division doesn't allow optics. It's only iron sights. So back in, again, 2015 or 2016, a provisional division was founded known as carry optics, which was intended to be production division style guns, but with a slide mounted optic on them. Uh, limited division is more of a high-end custom 2011 style pistol or like your fancier um, custom worked on CZs and and the like. But 2011s tend to be the dominant gun in limited division. That would be true of limited 10 as well. Open division, again, dominated by 2011 style guns, but with all the bells and whistles, compensators and frame-mounted optics instead of uh, slide-mounted optics and things of that nature. Massive magwells, uh, 27-round uh, magazines, you know, and things of that nature. So, again, just kind of depends on where you want to play, but a good place to get started is either in production or carry optics division. If you're going to make a choice based on that's not necessarily limited on what you already have. I mean, you chances are you already have a gun that will fit in one of those divisions. But again, some people might have like a, I don't know, they, they might carry a pistol that's a compensated pistol of some sort that, I mean, as soon as you had, have a compensator of any kind, uh, you're going to at a minimum end up in open vision. Or if you have a magwell of any kind, you're going to end up in limited, limited 10 or open division, depending on whether you have iron sights or uh, an optical sight of some kind. So, um, yeah, sorry, I can go into the weeds on this, but probably a carry optics or production gun, depending on whether you want to shoot an optic or iron sights. So the common choices, popular choices in those would be, uh, and they're typically going to be striker fired, although some are hammer fired, uh, but many of them are striker fired. Examples are, P, are the SIG P320, particularly the X5 Legion is, I think, probably the, the dominant gun in like carry optics in particular right now. Um, you've got uh, things like uh, Glocks are still pretty popular. Glock 34, 17. You don't typically see a lot of 19s, although occasionally you do. Um, let's see. You see a fair number of CZs. Uh, typically of like either the shadow or shadow two variant or even some more classic CZ 75 B's PO ones or excuse me, SPO ones, that sort of thing. Um, And those certainly, and I would say actually on the, in the production division, if you're talking iron sights, I, I would say we see quite a few of the CZs as well as uh, 10 10 folios. Um, you know, so a, a DASA gun, that's a pretty popular choice in production division, still fairly popular in carry optics, but we tend to see a few more of like the P320 X5 legions, um, some Glocks and things of that nature. Also the CZ P10 F, the full size model of the P10 is eh, somewhat popular in carry optics in particular. Pretty much any of the guns that have made it very easy to put optics on them have become pretty popular choices for carry optics. So, uh, let's see. Resources. Resources to prepare. So, here's what I would say. I mean, there's some competitive shooting books you can go check out. There's some YouTube videos, some things you can go watch online that talks about, you know, how the different competitive sports work and 
the gear that's required and the rules and all that kind of stuff. Honestly, I would just pick a match, um, take your gun, have a decent holster for it. Okay. It's nothing, nothing that's soft-sided or collapsible. Um, just like a, a Kydex or polymer holster of some kind, um, have a couple mag pouches and go to a match and let the, let them know when you show up or contact the match director in advance, let them know you're coming, let them know you're new. Uh, they'll typically, a lot of the clubs will, will have you go through like a new competitive shooter orientation meeting of some kind. Uh, typically like a half hour long or maybe an hour at the max. And, uh, you know, they'll go over things for you in that, in that, uh, meeting safety from a, you know, that's, that's like the number one thing is making sure you understand safety and some of the basic safety protocols of how the match is shot and operated and, and what you need to know and understand as a shooter. Um, they'll go over some of the divisions and equipment and that kind of thing a little bit, but just, just pick a match and show up and go and shoot. And people generally are pretty nice and helpful. I, obviously there's exceptions to that, but in my experience, more often than not, competitive shooters are are willing to help uh, others get started and get involved in the sport. And so um, just show up with a gun, some mags, some ammo, quality holster, and some mag pouches, and a belt to mount everything to, and you're probably going you're, you're gonna to figure it out, and you're going to have a great, great time in the process. Be willing to ask pro, uh, questions, but ask questions at appropriate times. So when someone's getting ready to get, you know, when, when it's about their time or their turn to get up and shoot, that's, that's the wrong time to ask questions. Right. So some, some basic etiquette stuff there, but make friends with somebody and, and ask questions, ask questions about the gear, ask questions about the divisions, the rules, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and you don't have to understand and figure everything out right away. So you don't want to like overwhelm anybody with a gazillion questions. You'll figure it out but just get started. That's honestly the hardest part about competitive shooting is just getting started. I think for most people. And so just take a a leap of faith and jump in and get started. Uh, Now I spoke mostly to USPSA shooting, but I'd say a lot is is true of IDPA. Uh, IDPA has some similar type divisions uh, again, with some various equipment restrictions and rules of as far as like what gun runs and what, divisions and that kind of thing. The one downside about IDPA is they don't have like an open division. So it's, it is possible you could show up with a gun that doesn't fit into any of the divisions, but I do believe that IDPA has a provision to let somebody, you know, that's just, just for their first match or two to, as long as they have safe equipment that they can run sort of like whatever they've brung, um, just to get them started. And then of course we can get them pointed in the right direction as far as changes and modifications that can be made to, um, to, to better fit into a proper division in the future. Uh, other options, three gun, three guns, uh, another popular option. It's more complex, obviously, because we got more stuff to deal with more equipment, more expense involved. Now I actually started competing in three gun. I'm not recommending that for just, just anybody. Um, I was actually encouraged to not start in three gun first, but to do something like USPSA or steel challenge. Uh, but I was hard headed and like, no, this is what I'm going to do. I would say though, that I, I did have a leg up in that I was already pretty experienced with running a carbine rifle and a pistol, uh, a little less so on the, on the shotgun side, but I was comfortable being able to jump into a multi-gun sport. And I wasn't particularly overwhelmed by that. I, uh, unlike I think some people might be. Um, so, but that's what I did. And a three gun again has, he, here's the challenge of three gun IDPA and USPSA are nationally, uh, um, they're national level organizations. So, so they operate matches all throughout the United States uh, and throughout the world. Uh, IDPA actually is a worldwide organization in case folks didn't know that, but it is based and was founded here in the United States. Um, three gun doesn't have a nationwide organization that is really functional. Uh, USPSA actually has a multi-gun or I guess you could say three gun, but they refer to it as multi-gun. Um, uh, not so much division, but what do you call that? I don't know. It's, it's USPSA has a division, uh, 
not division, that's the word. They have multi-gun within USPSA. But I don't know of many clubs. So, and by when we say club, we're talking about like a local range with a local local organization that a lot of times is separate from the range. Um, so a lot of times you'll have a range that allows a club to create an organization that operates the competitive shooting sport at that range. Um, and the club is just that local organization. I'm not aware of many or if any clubs that operate uh, so-called USPSA rule set multi-gun matches. Most of the three-gun matches I'm familiar with are what we call outlaw matches. They're not affiliated with any particular shooting organization. Uh, they just are a local organization that runs three-gun matches. A lot of three-gun matches will operate using pretty similar rule sets and divisions, but there can be differences, especially regionally across the country. But probably the more common three-gun or multi-gun divisions would be open division, where kind of anything goes. Uh, Limited division, uh, which is sometimes also referred to as iron sight division or uh, tack irons or something to that effect. Um, And and, and that basically just means like you don't have a a magnifying scope or anything like that. You, You can, in most cases, in limited run a red dot. And then your pistol is going to be iron sight only. Uh, TAC ops or tactical optics tends to be, I think, one of the more popular divisions, which you can have a, a variable power scope on your rifle and still you'd have iron sights on your pistol. Um, shotgun would be would be iron sights or a bead or whatever. Um, open division would be the only division in three gun typically that would have optics on pistol, rifle, and shotgun, should you choose them. Anyway, more equipment requirements, more expense, more stuff going on, but the stages still kind of operate in the same fashion. You'll see some USPSA style stages in three-gun matches, but you'll also see some big field courses in three-gun matches where there's not really boundary lines or at least it's not as well defined as, as what you'd see in the USPSA or IDPA match. Uh, you just kind of have sometimes an open field and well, there's targets out there and you shoot these ones with the pistol and you shoot those ones with the shotgun and you shoot those ones with the rifle. Um, three gun is fun though, because you get the variety a lot of times of shooting stuff up close with all of those different guns and also shooting things at further distances, including out to many hundreds of yards in the case of the rifle. So it's fun. It's a fun one. I enjoy it. A little bit more difficult to get involved in and uh, both in terms of finding clubs sometimes, but also uh, the expense and the equipment that's required. Uh, Steel Challenge. Steel Challenge is actually probably one of the easier sport, shooting sports to get involved in. Uh, it, it's it's easy from a safety standpoint because you pretty much just stand still and shoot steel targets. Uh, there's not a lot of movement involved. And uh, you can show up with a 22 pistol, 22 rifle, uh, revolvers, semi-autos of all kinds. And again, you will find a division that you can fit into with whatever you have. Uh, so that's the great thing about steel ch- challenge. And then you're just shooting each stage is five steel targets. Uh, one of those targets is designated as the stop plate or stop target. Uh, you can shoot all the others in any order you want. You just always have to end on the designated stop target. And, uh, yeah, it's just five shots, five targets. And, you know, timer goes off, beep, and you go ding, 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 ding. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a great shooting sport, uh, short format, pretty quick to get through. You can oftentimes also shoot multiple guns, so shoot multiple divisions all in the same match. You could show up with a twenty two pistol and then shoot a, a, a centerfire pistol uh, or do the same with a rifle or whatever. Although you don't do any rifles, um, uh, like you don't do like two, two, three or three. You don't do any high power center fire uh, stuff. Primarily rimfire rifles is, uh, I think they do. Do they do PCC? I think they do. Yeah. They, uh, yes. So anyway, um, hopefully that didn't confuse anybody too bad. Uh, good question from Christy. I, we could probably go deeper again. There's probably again, all kinds of other resources, but, and actually, here's the number one resource, practiscore.com, P-R-A-C-T-I-S-C-O-R.com, 
practice score. I hope I spelled that right. Practice. It's like practice and score, but you're eliminating the C and E on the word practice. Practice score. Dot com. That's the number one resource in terms of finding matches. In fact, this actually answers Paul's question on Facebook. Where could someone find a good contact info source to find out if where such matches may be held in their local area? PracticeScore.com. And Amy, hey, Amy, welcome. Hello. Uh, she just posted that link in the Facebook comments as well. Uh, PracticeScore.com. Uh, it can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes, but you can filter because there's just a ton of matches in there. But you can filter by match type and you can filter by location. And in fact, you can just use the match or the, the map function and you just zoom in on your local area and you'll see these like kind of like little bubble things that are popping up. And you just you can zoom in and find various different clubs and their their corresponding matches. And you can look up uh, matches that are coming up in your local area or whatever. I've done it where I've been on the road in a different state and, you know, thought, hey, I wonder if there's something nearby uh, that's, uh, you know, they have a match going on today or this weekend that I might be able to jump in and participate in. So practicescore.com, that is the number one resource uh, because what did I say just find a match and jump in and get started and show up, ask questions. Folks will help you out um, to find those opportunities. Practice score is the place. Good stuff. Good stuff, guys. All right. Hit me up with other questions. Been going now for a little bit. Um, other random things to talk about. Uh, oh, I teased it early on. So I was going to tell you about. Something I'm pretty excited about. Something that is coming soon from us here at concealedcarry.com. And that is, uh, hold on, let me think how to introduce this. Well, let me, let, me, let me start with this. We have, for a time as a company, talked about creating our own custom target. As a, you know, for our use, for our business use, um, that sort of thing. And so um, that day is upon us, actually. I am super excited to announce, and I'm going to preview for those of you that are viewing live, that we have a new target coming. And by coming, it is, um, it's coming. Like, actually just shipped today. And it will be arriving in our warehouse here shortly. So this is what um, I'm calling the CCI-PIQ target, the CCI-PIQ target. It's the Concealed Carry Inc., which is our business name, um, target. But it's designed with some specific requirements. Uh, granted, this is a bit of a selfish project in a way of mine. Um, but many of you are familiar with my pistol intelligence curriculum that I developed and launched last year and have been teaching. And in fact, I'm taking on the road to San Antonio later this month, uh, January 29th and 30th, I believe it is. The dates, there's still seats available in that class, by the way. And February, beginning part of February 5th and 4th and 5th, 5th and 6th, thereabouts. I think it's 4th and 5th in Huntsville, Alabama. That class is totally full. Um, and I uh, got a class in Youngstown, Ohio um, in the early part of March. Bunch of seats still available in that class. I hope to, to see that one, you know, see a few more signups coming in for that one. But anyway, been, te- been taking my pistol intelligence class on the road. Uh, and it's actually been a goal of mine this year to, to get out there, oh, maybe half a dozen times or so and teach classes out on the road in various markets across America. And this target is one target that where I can shoot everything we do in that class all on one target. We can do any of the drills, any of the exercises, uh, all of that stuff The shoot my standards all on this one target. We can also do pretty much all of the drills and things we do in other concealedcarry.com curriculum courses, which for a few years we've had a curriculum we call the Guardian Pistol curriculum. And we can shoot all the same drills associated with that curriculum on this one target. Uh, there's a lot going on on the target. 
but I've, you know, through the use of uh, various grayscale, not colors, but, you know, just changing the, the scale, the the grayscale of certain lines and things and line weight thicknesses and things to highlight uh, various parts of the target more or less. Um, I hope to make it a very versatile target. So this is the target. And they were quite literally printed just in the last 24 hours, uh, boxed up and are shipping uh, to us. So um, be looking for this in the concealedcarry.com store soon. And we'll be doing some some special promotional, promotional related stuff uh, related to these targets. I'm just super excited about it. Because again, we've talked for years about having our own concealedcarry.com branded or associated uh, target and something that we, that we could call our own that we taught our classes with and, 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 you know, did a lot of our drills with This is also a target that, you know, tried to put some thought into um, making it versatile. So a variety, a wide variety of drills could be shot on the one target and it, it certainly can be used for that. So pretty excited about it. Uh, you guys are the first to really see and hear about it and get a preview of it. And so, so I've, I, and for those of you that are listening to the podcast only, uh, particularly after the fact, I apologize if you're not seeing this, but if it's not already very soon, you'll see it on our store at concealedcarry.com. So you can uh, go to our store and look up targets, uh, search the CCI PIQ target, and um, you'll, you'll be able to see it. So there you go. Pretty excited about it. Uh, yeah, let's see. Got to stop sharing my screen. There we go. I saw some questions come in. Amy, Amy Langdon specifically. Uh, I typically only use first names on social when I'm or on the podcast when I'm reading comments and questions for people. But folks know Amy. She was on the podcast, uh, oh, I don't know, a dozen or so episodes ago. She says or asks, dry fire practice. What are the top three things a new person should focus on? Wow, that is a good question. Top, this could be a whole other like podcast episode, I think. So thanks for the inspiration, Amy. I'll see if I can address just from top of my head, uh, you know, address this question right now. So top three things. Well, um, first of all, we, we always have to emphasize safety. So you need to establish a, a protocol of sorts for your dry fire practice. Uh, some, some series of steps or protocols that you follow, uh, both in terms of procedurally, but also the location setup, so that every time you dry, dry fire practice, you never have a mistake because those mistakes can be costly and or fatal. Uh, so too many stories out there exist of people doing various things with their guns, a lot of times in dry fire and firing off live rounds accidentally. Uh, and, you know, quite often I think this happens and no one, and no one fortunately gets hurt. Um, but too often people do get hurt. So establish a, a pr- some protocols for how you conduct your dry fire practice and always abide by that. Uh, so there's, there's some best practices, obviously, that exist. Obviously, the r- rule of firearm safety need to, uh, to be in place. Uh, uh, you know, in, in terms of your location that you dry fire in, um, you need to have a safe direction or the best safe direction that you can come up with based on your personal circumstances. Uh, You know, you need to have a procedure in place for how you unload or verify unloading of a firearm, assuming you're using a live firearm for your dry fire practice. Uh, I would encourage you to look into things like the barrel block from a safety perspective and using a barrel block so that once that's installed, um, you can rest assured that it's pretty pretty much impossible while that thing's installed to have a a mistake, uh, you know, an accidental or negligent discharge of the firearm. Uh, so, you know, things of that nature. So establishing the safety protocols necessary to conduct dry fire practice so that we ensure that we are not going to have anybody get hurt or injured or property damaged or destroyed in the process. So that's, I would say that's the first thing. Start there, consider your personal circumstances and, and, and your home or apartment or wherever it is that you are uh, and take into account 
what you need to do to do that safely. The second thing, uh, let's see. Second thing would be, you know, start start real simple and basic. And and one of the one of the great things about dry fire is we can do the things in dry fire that we sometimes or often cannot do at our live fire range. So many ranges are restrictive for things like drawing from a holster uh, or shooting, you know, faster than a certain, you know, pace or cadence. Uh, Regarding the holster thing, um, dry fire practice is the place to develop and work on drawing skill, drawing from the holster. Okay. Uh, Number one, because it, we do it in dry fire. We can do it safely. So when we're learning drawing, obviously one of the things that is emphasized with drawing a pistol eventually for just about anybody is to get reasonably fast doing it, you know, fast and efficient. Uh, we can do that in dry fire practice in a manner that is, I mean, it's obviously we've followed the safety protocols so we can push the envelope a little bit. So we can push ourselves as we are learning uh, because if we always just draw the same mediocre, comfortable pace, we're never growing. We're never getting any better. Uh, we're just doing the same thing over and over again. So I believe that one of the big things in dry fire practice is to be pushing ourselves, And we push those things that it's especially appropriate to do in dry fire from a safety perspective. So we push ourselves in dry fire practice. And then in live fire, yeah, we're not going to push it, the envelope quite that much especially when you're newer. Uh, so dry. Yeah. Work on the draw. That is the absolute lowest hanging fruit. Biggest opportunity in dry fire practice is working on the draw. Um, so that's what I, that's one of the three things I would focus on. And, uh, the other thing I'd focus on is, hmm, yeah, get, once we get the draw sorted out, I would, I would, I would really work on, and this is tough to do, and it's tough to do with a newer shooter. And I'm still working on cracking the code on how to teach someone that doesn't have a broad frame of reference on how to to really grasp these these concepts. And what that is 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 the visual aspect. So um, a lot of folks tend to like, for instance, I have a cert pistol here, right? This is a popular dry fire training tool. All right. The challenge with this is, you know, it emits a laser beam and we think, oh, cool. I'm going to get visual feedback of that laser on my target. And, and and that tends to be the primary focus for an individual in their dry fire is, is seeing where that hits. Cause in, in I think a lot of newer shooters mind, they equate seeing the laser beam hit as being a bullet impact. And that's, that's probably the the most wrong way to look at using those types of tools in dry fire practice. There is some value there, uh, but only so far as you're using the laser in the, the information the laser gives you as it impacts the wall, the target, whatever, and seeing if how much movement there is in that laser beam. All right, because if we're seeing a line, a, a slash, a dash, that kind of thing, or a big old squiggle, um, that indicates there's some problems, you know, going on with the grip and especially the grip in our dry fire practice. But too many people, I think, get really sucked into watching for that laser impact and thinking, ah, cool, that was a X ring hit, you know, awesome, let's do it again. We need to make sure we don't lose focus of other important things like utilizing our sights. Okay. Cause in live fire, this is, this is our visual gauge. This is what we really need to be seeing. Now I'm not saying careful. I'm not saying focused on, uh, because as many of you know, that have listened or followed for some time, you know, I shoot my iron sight guns now 95 plus percent of the time target focused. Uh, so I'm not focusing on the front sight in the traditional way that it's been taught, but I am visually aware and paying attention to that visual information of my sights in my sight picture on target. That's probably a bit more of a, a, I hate to say advanced because I don't, 
I'm not so convinced that it really isn't that advanced of a skill. But again, I'm working on cracking the code on how to communicate and teach that to newer level shooters. But my point here, the third thing to focus on would be make sure you're not losing sight of your sights. Make sure that that's still, like that has still got to be one of your primary things that you're working on dry fire, just like you do in live fire, is paying attention to your sight picture at all times. All right? Don't make it a habit to watch for laser beams or or to disregard the sights entirely. Okay? So that would be my three things. Safety protocols, uh, draw, work on that. That's the number one lowest hanging fruit opportunity that exists in dry fire and then making sure that we are holding ourselves accountable to our site picture in dry fire. Super, super important. Uh, what are your thoughts about red dots on micro pistols, Hellcat or P365 for concealed carry? Uh, I just see Facebook user because this is someone obviously watching in our, in our uh, guardian nation members group, uh, which Due to the nature of Facebook and how it works with our software, if you're watching within the group, we can't see your your name when you comment. I, I could log into that group and see it, but I, it ends up tying up my computer sometimes when I do that. So um, good question, Facebook user. Um, I think my thoughts regarding red dots on micro pistols for concealed carry are the same as non-micro sized pistols. Uh, I think red dots are the future. I think the future is pretty much now. And I think they're a great idea for those that choose to use them. If you think, here's the thing, my shooting life, if you will, was almost immediately enhanced when I started transitioning to using red dots. I instantly enjoyed shooting more. I saw some performance increases for me personally. And I'm not saying this would be true for everybody, but for me, I think where I was as a shooter when I began transitioning to red dots, I think I was primed for that transition. Uh, Mostly just by consequence, just just, or coincidence even. It just, I just was ready to make that transition and I made that transition very, very quickly and a and yeah, they just have enhanced everything about my shooting. Uh, now, the, not to say that iron sights aren't a viable option. I still think iron sights are great. Here's the thing. Iron sights or red dot, I, I'm careful to say one is better than another. Because really what they are is they're both just aiming systems. They're just devices to see and recognize and confirm the orientation and alignment of our gun relative to a target. That's all they are. Okay. They're just different ways of getting the same job done. And too many people get tripped up on like suggesting that certain things do things. Again, I try to be careful not to say better. Red dot's pretty dang powerful in, in, a lot of shooters' hands. I know it was for me. It was life-changing for me as a shooter. The cool thing is spending some time on red dots actually enhanced my performance on iron sights as well, partly because I think there were some things visually I hadn't quite yet figured out with iron sights that the red dot helped me sort of realize and achieve. And by that, becoming a target-focused shooter with iron sights um, has, again, really enhanced my experience as a shooter and my performance with iron sights and I enjoy shooting them more. So, uh, you know, red dots helped me kind of get there. Uh, I'm not saying that'd be the true for everybody, but that's what they did for me. So, um, the size of the gun, I don't think is really relevant. Uh, I mean, there, there's a point, obviously, if you're looking for super, super deep, ultra tight concealed, you know, concealment solutions like you're wearing uh really form-fitting clothing tight clothing uh your concealment requirements are much more restrictive than your average day-to-day person 
maybe red dots, not the best choice because there is a slight reduction in uh, uh, or increase in concealment footprint. When you have, you know, that optic on there, it's not as much as what a lot of people like to make out. I see internet arguments all the time. Well, why would you put that on them? Why would you put a red dot on a micro sized gun? You're just making, you know, the, you're defeating its purpose. It's supposed to be small and super concealable. Well, guess what? A P365 with a red dot on it is still way smaller profile than a full size gun with a red dot on it. Like, what's your point, bro? But the point is, is there, there's a time and a place when you need the ultimate in concealment. And maybe that's the time and place you don't have a red dot on a pistol. Okay. But man, I, I don't carry a P365 XL with red dot on it, on, on me every day. Um, but when I do, I do so because I'm looking for a lower profile concealment solution and I can make a 365 XL with a red dot on it disappear on my body anytime, any day, anywhere, anyhow. That's a very small footprint for me to conceal. Now, it's not going to be true for everybody. So that's a great option for me. And I can run a, three, a 365 with a, with a red dot on it. Arguably better than I can with, with iron sights. Just because I, I, I like running a dot. I think I shoot better with a red dot than I do with irons. I have to work. And that's, I don't know. Some people will say I'm lazy, I suppose. Um, I, I could probably shoot just as well with iron sights to a point. You know, once you start extending the diff- the distance out, you're going to come a place where the dot's going to really, really shine and outshine iron sights. Um, I, I think there's some splitting hairs there, but uh, but the dot's just easier. And you know what? Less mental bandwidth going on there for me personally means greater performance in a lot of other areas of my shooting. So I'm a big fan of red dots on just about anything I am, but that's going to be a decision you need to make for yourself as to whether that's the right thing for you and whether it fits with your, your requirements and your concealment needs. Amy says she loves the cert for helping new people in understanding your site picture and what you see on your sites versus what where you see the laser on the wall. Yeah, it's a valid point. And demonstrating uh, even simple concepts such as uh, uh, offset, mechanical offset, meaning the difference between this plane of where my sights are at and where the bullet is actually traveling. You know, we have things that are sighted in because those planes intersect. So the bullet intersects where my sights are pointing at a certain distance. Okay, but at all other times, those impact points are are different, or or our point of aim, point of impact is different, right? That's why I was shooting a drill yesterday at five yards, which is not as bad as three yards, but doing it with a red dot on my pistol at five yards, I have to bias my dot slightly high. It was I was using two inch circles. I had to bias my aiming point. So in other words, my point of aim is biased slightly above center to give me the greatest um, leeway, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking at and putting my dot right on the center of that two inch circle at five yards, but my round is impacting like a half inch below that, right? I have less, uh, um, what's the word? I have less uh, margin for error you know, and particularly downward in the gun. So, so understanding offset is, is hugely valuable. If you're at three yards, you have a way more offset. People will try to shoot small, you know, like a dot torture drill at three yards, especially with a red dot and, and they're, most of their shots are hitting low. And when they miss, they tend to miss low and they're like, what's going on? It's like, yeah, you know, when I shoot dot torture at three yards, I'm putting my dot almost at the top of the circle. So that's a great point. That's a great way of, that, and there's other ways too, and I, and, and probably other things that Amy's touching on there as well. But that's that's a that's a simple example of one way to use things like a cert pistol to help train and understand the concepts of what's our sight picture and where is the laser actually at. Yeah, good stuff there. So um, we're kind of at the hour mark here, and I appreciate you joining me on this this journey uh, for this random show 
we talked about a bunch of different topics and subjects and things and introduced some things to you. And again, next week we'll be at SHOT Show, which actually brings up a good point. <laughs> next week we will not have the podcast because we will be at shot show. So uh, we'll take, we're going to be taking a week off from the podcast. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks. So a heads up there. And uh, yeah, I look forward to coming back and and sharing some things from shot show with y'all. Should be a good time. So thanks so much for this episode, guys, for sharing your questions with me and comments And I appreciate, again, as always, your support of this show. We've been doing it now for, we are actually officially coming up on the six-year mark. Uh, Hard to believe. Uh, I think I'll have to double check exactly when that is, but I think it's in about two weeks-ish that we actually hit the six-year mark of the Concealed Carry podcast being in existence. It's listened to by many thousands of you every month. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Uh, it's my privilege and honor to have been a part of this journey with some of you since the beginning and for being able to continue on in this journey. So thanks for your support of us, your support of our sponsors, which makes what we do possible. A reminder of today's show sponsors, Excess Sites. You can find them at accesssites.com. And also, I guess, usually quite often we have two sponsors. The second sponsor today is just a reminder, go, go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. Make sure you're subscribed. Um, yeah, make sure you're seeing our shot show content. I, I I'd like to say that we'd I'd like to offer more video content besides just the podcast on our YouTube channel. There's some things that we need to figure out as far as how to implement and execute that. Uh, something we've wanted to do for a long time, um, but it is something that I'd like to think this this coming year. And it, it is a goal of mine that we. Uh, make use of the YouTube channel even more than we currently do be above and beyond the podcast being broadcast live on. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you're subscribed to our channel so that you actually catch our YouTube content. And so until next time, a reminder to train right, train often and train safe. So you can fight hard, fight fast and fight true. Take care. Take care.